welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletic Show. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Hi, everyone. It's Tim Fitzgerald, publisher of Go Power Cat, with another edition of the PowerCat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. I am in our studio here in Manhattan, Kansas, and we'll be going out to all of our experts, all Go Power Cats experts throughout this show. The normal lineup, Brian Hanley, our football analyst, Ryan Wallace, one of our football experts, covers recruiting and so much more for us at Go Power Cat, and our odds guy, Ryan Gilbert, will wrap up the show at the end. Kansas State against Troy, 11 a.m. on Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Both teams are 1-0 after winning their openers. Uh, The game will be uh, televised on FS1. If you're not able to attend, a sellout crowd is expected in Manhattan for that game as uh, K-State tries to build off of its 45-0 opening victory over SEMO. As I mentioned, we are sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. K-State fans, visit the Robbins Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat location on Anderson Avenue in Manhattan for an exciting test drive. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the PowerCat pregame podcast. And let's not mess around anymore. Let's bring in the man, Mr. Brian Hanley, former Kansas State offensive lineman, camera adjustment, um, that played on the 97-98 teams, those incredible teams, for Coach Snyder. Now is uh, from our studios in Frisco, Texas. I'm just going to turn it out as one of our studios. I like it. We do it a lot. Um, first of all, Brian, uh, before we start on the game analysis, tell people w- about the stuff you do uh, on YouTube and, and social media that they might want to check in on. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, first off, I, I mean, I'm Big B Sports Talk. That is where I'm at everywhere. Um, any place that you get a podcast and on YouTube, just look for Big B Sports Talk. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram as well. So check all that good stuff out. I'm doing stuff, obviously, here. Love it. Can't get enough of talking K-State football. Uh, KCSN, I, I do a little stuff on a, outside the trenches with Nick Leckie. Uh, me and him are on a, a podcast together there as well. So just trying to to get out there and enjoy this sports social media market, man. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Man, I, I tell you what, it, the emergence of YouTube and other social media as a realm for great sports talk um, of all the other things going on in the world uh, with ESPN and, you know, the kind of major stakeholders in the sports yep. discussion uh, realm, uh, I think – all these independent YouTubers are, are really putting a dent in ESPN because, um, you know, some of their nonsense people get fed up with and they just yep. go to YouTube and, and find all of us. It's kind of fun. Well, let's, uh, let's turn our attention uh, to Troy, um, but kind of look over our shoulder also to what they did with SEMO. Is there any concern here, Brian, uh, when you have a win of that magnitude open up the season that you might relax, that you might, um, not build upon it, but uh, kind of get stuck in the fact that it appeared to be so easy. You know, I think you can if you have a young, immature team. Right. Kansas State doesn't have a young, immature team. So they understand, you know, what, number one, what last week was all about. Uh, guys got a lot of work in that needed to get work in against somebody else. You know, you don't get the, the, the practices against other schools or, or preseason games or scrimmages and stuff like that. So you've basically been beating each other up for the better part of a month. 
you know, and it's good to go against somebody else. That's what the game is for. Now, obviously, you're trying to win. It's a competitive situation. But, you know, that's what those type of games are for. And we got out relatively healthy. So that's great. But you're right. Teams can also think, oh, this was so easy. Things are going to be so easy. And all K-State has to do is look to last year. And they played a Tulane team in a a similar type of situation and lost. Now, let's take a step back. Tulane was way better than what anybody had anticipated. You know, they were a very, very good football team. K-State, I think, still was better. They just underestimated them, didn't prepare, uh, didn't have the whole game plan in in, to to play against a team like Tulane. But I think K-State as a whole, like I said, they have a very mature veteran football team. So being able to put that game aside makes it a heck of a lot easier when you have veterans that understand. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I remember uh, on this show last year talking about don't be fooled by Tulane's record. This is a pretty good team that's going to be extremely well coached. Um, And they turned out to be that and more. We had no idea that Tulane, and maybe it was because they beat K-State, would go on to – uh, play in a New Year's Six Bowl uh, against uh, USC and win. So I think uh, that had panned out just fine. I, and I think Troy might also be uh, a New Year's Six type level team. They might be the one that comes out of the group of six to, or whatever it is now, um, to end up uh, playing in uh, a bigger bowl uh, because Troy's also a veteran team. Uh, they're, mm-hmm. they're not going to be fooled by much out there. Um, I, I love Sunbelt football. I, yeah. I think I think Sun the Sunbelt is the um blueprint for the smaller conferences. I think if you're a smaller conference, uh and I, I the American not expanding to the West Coast told me that they get it. Stay compact in, yep. in your in the way you're lined up and and play regional rivals that have a lot of sense of meaning uh to you. And Troy has kind of floated to the top of that conference. Uh, really physical. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't play great against Stephen F. Austin last week, but uh, they did enough to win. Still, though, uh, if you don't come out and prepare to play a, a really good Sun Belt team, they're going to kick you in the teeth. And I think you're right. I think this K State team knows that damn well. They're not going to uh, look past them. Uh, they are veteran, but they've got a lesson fresh in their mind. And believe me, they bring it up quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there's nothing that teaches a football team. Now, granted, it was a, it was last year, but nothing teaches a football team better than a loss. And that's just got to be fresh on a lot of these guys' minds from what happened last year. Uh, and again, K-State's got a lot to play for. They got a lot at stake. I'm not necessarily meaning this game, but for this season, K-State's got a lot to play for, man, and they can't afford hiccups in games they should win. And, and when I mean win, they should win handily. Now, football happens, things happen. You don't always win all those games handily that you should. But at the same time, there's a lot for on, on the line for Kansas State this season. Not just, okay, what can we do? Can we get into the playoff? Can we win the Big 12 again? For recruiting down the road, there's a lot on the line yeah. here for Kansas State, man. And, and we just have to, to understand that and keep playing. So you can't afford hiccups in games like this. And I think the guys understand that again, it's a veteran group. They get it. They want to win as many games as possible. So uh, it, it's good that we have a veteran group going into a game like this. Cause Troy will be a little better than what people yeah. think. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
you know, I was a little surprised when I saw the line. And, of course, I'll get into this with um, Gills at the end of this podcast. But K-State opening as a 16-and-a-half-point favorite. I think Vegas agrees the Cats won't look past Troy after what happened last year. Yep. They do have one elite player, a pass rusher. Uh, let me get the pronunciation right. I'm, I'm stressing over this one. I'm, st- <laughs> I'm stressing. Uh, uh, now i got to find it. Richard Jabonor, Montnor, Bonor. I, you know, I, I'm a print guy. I, I saw I, that, and I didn't even try it. Fitz. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the just an elite pass rusher playing yeah. their bandit position, which I imagine is a stand-up defensive end. I haven't had uh, a chance to watch much of Troy yet, but uh, he's he's disruptive. And with what happened at right tackle in the last game, do you expect to see anything else than Cooper Beebe starting at right tackle? No. No, yeah. if if Duffy can't go, I, I expect that Cooper Beebe will be at right tackle. Um, and, and maybe that's just the way that we have to go for a while until if he comes back, uh, he's supposed to be back. We'll see. You know how injuries work. Yep. Uh, you know, the human body. I mean, it does what it wants to do. So we'll see what happens. But yeah. And, and, and like I said, that was the only bad spot. If you want to call it a bad spot, it's a, a spot for concern. Let's say right. that it's better. Okay. It's a spot for concern for K state. So, but luckily we have an all American that can alleviate some of those concerns for. So it's nice to be able to do that. It's kind of what we mentioned, you know, um, last week is as far as being able to get guys moved around in different positions. It's great that we have that capability um, and guys that are so versatile. Uh, And being able to be versatile is only going to help K-State moving forward. Of course, the benefit is they actually have six returning starters with Taylor Portier coming back. He was playing right guard next to BB when he was at right tackle. And Hadley Panzer, uh, the guy that replaced Portier last year along the line, slid over to left guard. It it was interesting uh, that we asked Hadley Panzer on a Tuesday at the press conference, did he mind moving from right to left? He played right all last year, and then he pops over to left and moved to right a little bit in this game. He, back. he said the guard positions, it didn't really bother him moving from side to side. Uh, uh, as a former guard, uh, is that true? I mean, is that or is that just something that he, he finds easy what isn't really particularly that simple to do? I, I think he's right, actually. Guard positions are easier than t- tackles. It's a lot different. You're yeah. out there on an island. A lot of hand placement is different and steps are different. While the, the guard position, the, the the steps are a little bit different. Everything's so compact and and close to you that it's, you know, it, there's a guy on your inside shoulder or outside shoulder, and they're right there. And a lot of times it's either a double team or a not. So things, while it's a little backwards, it's not as difficult. Moving from right tackle to left tackle, that's those are worlds yep. apart. Just absolutely yep. worlds apart. But inside, no. The things happen a lot quicker. Uh, your reaction times are going to be the same, so it's not as difficult. Not at all. He's right. Okay, let's turn this into a Cooper BB uh, appreciation segment. Uh, <laughs> he started at left guard, moved to right tackle, also played left tackle at some point in the game. I, I don't think he played right guard or center, uh, but how difficult is that, and what's that say about this young man, uh, that he can move out and play a, you know, from guard to tackle with – all everything he has to do being mirrored and then move to the other tackle again. Uh, I, I'm blown away. I mean, I, I think how dominant all of us are either right or left to all of a sudden just flip the switch and go to the other side. It's got to be uh, just very challenging, but says a lot about BB. 
Well, here's the thing. Everybody would talk about the physical changes and all of those things. And, and those are difficult. It's the mental part right. that's more difficult. You know, they talked about Travis Henry from Colorado, him playing uh, all these snaps on offense and defense as cornerback and a wide receiver, playing a million snaps. I mean, that's just incredible physically. But the mental aspect of having to learn the plays as a wide receiver and as a quarter cornerback is incredible. Right. But think of having to do that as an offensive lineman, left tackle, left guard, right tackle. You are not doing the same thing, even on the same place. That's the, the, the aspect of it. Yes. The physical part is difficult. I'm not trying to diminish that, but the mental part is way more difficult for guys of, okay, I was at left tackle. Now I'm at right tackle. And we're calling the same play. Well, I got to do something totally different. So Incredible. it's just crazy. It is crazy. I uh, and he said he struggled a few snaps um, yeah. when he moved out to right tackle. But I, I was watching him, and maybe it was going through his mind. I, I got to remember what to do. But his body was doing everything just exactly how he needed to. It was it yeah. was incredibly impressive. Okay, let's switch topics to this as Kansas State enters game two possibly another game where they get away from the opponent. I don't expect anything close to what happened last week with SEMO. Again, this is a really good Troy team that uh, could make this really competitive, could beat K-State. They really could. Um, <clears throat> what is your opinion now in the modern era, and what I mean by that is transfer portal, NIL, of college football with redshirting? K-State played 11 or 12 true freshmen. Um, if they can get away from Troy, they probably will continue to try to get a look at those players, and including in that modern era is the ability to play four games and still redshirt. Uh, I have done a complete change. I've kind of followed Chris Kleiman on this. He said this at a press conference. Don't even worry about it. Yeah. I mean, if don't don't be planning to redshirt anyone um, until, you know, we're just not using them. Let game day dictate who you need to play, and if that means you – play six true freshmen and burn a year of eligibility, so be it. Maybe an injury will happen. Maybe they leave early for the NFL. You know, that's the good scenario. Maybe they transfer out eventually. Uh, make the most of what you have of them in the immediate. It's kind of like just life to live the day uh, and worry about tomorrow later. He is 1,000% correct because it's just what you said. It, it, first of all, with the transfer portal, if guys aren't playing right away, let's say you have 10 guys, you'll lose 40% of those guys. Right. So they're just going to leave. They could be happy, but if they're not playing, they're, oh, you know what? I want to go play. And that's just the way that college football is today. So play everybody. Don't worry about it. If if somebody wants the red shirt, first of all, I've never heard of a college athlete, and I've been watching, following in college sports for almost 40 years. And I've never heard of a guy, coach, I want a red shirt. I don't want to play. I, that doesn't happen. Now, they may not be physically capable or able to play, but they don't go to coaches and just say, hey, coach, I don't want to play. Nah, I, I just want a red shirt. That didn't happen 40 years ago, and that's not happening today. So play as many people as you think can play because you never know when you're going to need somebody. Get as much experience as possible. And again, if somebody – you don't know who's going to be on your team next year anyway, the way that no. this transfer portal is. So you might as well use everybody that you have on your team now and get the best that you can get out of them and move forward from there. 
Yeah, I agree. Just play him. He mentioned that there's some offensive defensive linemen who maybe aren't as physically suited yet to play, which is, you know, um, particularly for an offensive lineman, that development. Sometimes sometimes you're just a big kid and you need to become a big, strong kid once you get exactly. to the college level. Um, but from everything they're saying, these guys have the skills. They just need to up their strength to be at the college level. And still with that said, I, I saw a lot of true freshmen play in this game and None of them, Consimo, none of them look overmatched. None of them. No. And we had Asa Newsom on, in on Tuesday um, for the press conference. Dude, he's he's an 18-year-old man, and he, <laughs> he he handled himself so well. He is a big kid. Uh, Eli Drinkowitz would have his daughters marry him. Um, just, <laughs> just a wonderful young man. Uh, and I'm just – kind of blown away that K-State's now getting a lot more of these kids that are physically equipped to come in and play right away. And against a game like a team like Troy on what might be a 90-degree day, uh, you might have to dig into that depth and, and continue to wear down the, the opponent. Uh, and guys like that are just vital. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I mean, the the way that, that high school football and personal trainers and all these things that, that go on behind the scenes – that people do nowadays and people pay for only has a better impact on kids being more physically able to play earlier. You know, before that, that wasn't the case. You were right. Just like awesome offensive line and defensive. Heck, I, from my own experience, I was at Coffeeville, and, you know, I, I don't toot my horn a lot, but I was the number one junior college player in the country. Yep, you were. And I came in and I, I was bench pressing 335 pounds and the very first spring practice, I said, I have to up this 100 pounds or I can't play. I, I remember it specifically, and I can remember getting with Coach Cole. I go, you got to get this up 100 pounds by the time we start the season. And we did. And but So you know, and kids know. They know. And so because they know, they want to do all these things at a younger age to be able to come in and play. And, you know, for freshmen – it, it's an incredible opportunity. So many more guys show up early now in the summertime, and they want to be here. A lot of guys that come in in January. And to me, as a high school senior, I couldn't think, wouldn't even dream of giving up. My senior year, second semester, where I'm basically doing nothing, and I have prom to look forward to, the guys don't do it these days. They don't do it, and, you know, more power to them, man. That shows the dedication these people have, these young guys have to their sport. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a very visible sacrifice. But, um, you know, Asa mentioned it. This is a full-time job. When you come to college to play a sport, uh, you're a student also, but this is your job. This is 40 hours a week or more of yeah. labor um, yep. between everything you got to do, practice field, training, um, just, you know, all this weight room stuff. Just It's amazing how these kids adjust. Um, but as we wrap this up, let's, is K-State just going to wear down Troy or is K-State going to get away early from Troy or is this going to be a down to the wire type of game? I don't think it's going to be a down to the wire game. I think it's, uh, I think it'll be closer the first half than what a, a lot of people will think K-State should be up by three touchdowns at the end of the first quarter. I'm like, it's not going to be that yep. K-State is a better football team than, than Troy. They are. Uh, and I think they'll get away from them about the middle of the third quarter. K-State will just – they'll have to – they'll be too more too physical, kind of what you right. said. They'll pound them out. Uh, but I do think they will get away from them. I think the final score is somewhere 44, 45 to 17. Mm -hmm. uh, K-State's not going to shut them out. Troy's good. 
Uh, but K-State's just better. They're a better football team. And, of course, folks, keep eyes on special teams because quite often that's where yeah. uh, a, a Power 5 school can get a big advantage um, just because of depth and and uh, the number of snap loads that the other opponents take. Sometimes they are under-equipped on those special team units, and we'll see if K-State can uh, – Get a big return in this game. Brian, appreciate it very much. Of course, you're on the Insiders every Monday with us. Uh, we do it live at 1.30 p.m. Central Time. Uh, one week down, we survived without uh, anyone cussing. It, it was a, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Brian, I appreciate it very much. As we head into break, remember, we're sponsored by Robbins Motor Company, and we will dig in to the Troy Trojans much more right after this break when we bring in Mr. Ryan Wallace. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast continues after this short break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the PowerCat podcast. Welcome back to the PowerCat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. I always forget my reads, Wally. We've got Ryan Wallace here to give us a further breakdown on the Troy Trojans that come to Bill Snyder Family Stadium on Saturday morning. The dedicated team of automotive professionals at Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat. It's a lot of words, Wally. Uh, will match you with a vehicle that suits your lifestyle and budget. Robbins Motor Company, proud po- sponsor of the Powercat pregame podcast. Wally, just give me your quick summation of your thoughts coming out of the SEMO win. It was a nice, clean win. Only a few hiccups along the way. I just kind of feel like it went as well as you could realis- realistically expect an opener to go. Yeah. I mean, overall, it, it seemed like the guys were uh, a well-oiled machine. I mean, really, the the alone hiccup on offense was what the the interception by Will Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they ran the ball well. They, they threw the ball well, um, you know, maintained good possession of the ball. It, offensively, I think the one thing that you came away with uh, was okay. Maybe Jaden Jackson can fill in for Keegan Johnson if need be, but also um, I, I think it goes without saying that the second wave of the starting offensive line is definitely I think the way that K State should proceed. And by that I mean Cooper Beebe at right tackle, uh, flipping Hadley Panzer yeah. to left guard and and playing uh, Podier next to Beebe. And then defensively, fits real quick. I, uh, hard to really gauge a whole lot. Um, but you loved what you saw from some of the backups that came in. I mean, the starters did their thing. I thought maybe they had to manufacture some some pressure a little bit. You'd like to see Khalid Duke, Nate Matlack, and Brendan Mott maybe generate a little bit more on their own. But at the same time, as long as they're getting pressure, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. And uh, eager to see a little bit more from the secondary. I'm not sure we, we quite saw them tested that much against SEMO. K-State got away so quickly. I, I felt like... Simo never really tried to open up their offense to come back. You know, they just stuck in their their base offense. They mixed the run in the pass. It was almost like once it got to one point, the coach is like, look, we're only going to make it worse if we start throwing the ball all over the field. Let's try to work on our stuff. Um, and K-State just did an incredible job stopping that running game cold. 
Yeah, no doubt. And like I said, I think that speaks to the way that we saw the, the defensive line play even without Uso. And I think it speaks to the linebacking core. They might have been the stars of the show, Fitz, yeah, because Daniel Green, Austin Moore were incredible. Jay Clifton came in and played lights out. Um, you know, Desmond Purnell didn't play, I thought, a ton for what we heard about from him uh, coming out of fall camp. But, you know, the, the snaps that he was in there for, he was impactful. And then, good Lord, uh, Austin Romain and Asa Newsom. I mean, what more can you say about those guys? So, uh, yeah, the linebackers might have come out as one of the stronger positions uh, from week one. Man, they're, they're kind of set up there. They're going to lose some two longtime starters and more in green, but well, those freshmen look legit. They've got a lot to learn, but boy, that's a good starting place. You brought up the guy that I want to shift now to, to Troy about. Having Uso back in the middle of this defense is going to be significant. Um, I thought that the backup nose tackles did a good job, uh, but Uso's a complete disruptor, and you're going to need it against a better opponent. No doubt. I mean, uh, John Summerall, the head coach of Troy, mentioned Uso, didn't mention him by name, but he said they've got a big nose tackle that didn't play a whole lot. Um, so he fully expects them to see more of Uso here in week two. Uh, and he flat out said, we've got to be better at the line of scrimmage. Uh, they've got to hold the line and, and try and win it. Um, and honestly, the fits, those are the two areas right now, I think for Troy, there'd be defensive line and offensive line that I think coming out of week one, the, the coaching staff, the fans, anybody who really watched the game, is probably pointing to as the weak link right now. They had a lot uh, to try and get over the hump with coming into 2023 in terms of replacing guys. Um, Troy on the offensive line lost two all Sun Belt players, and they've uh, added an Oklahoma State transfer at center. But I mean, as we've seen at K State, you take one piece of that you know communication out, and it disrupts the rhythm. The offensive line, I know they ran for a ton of yards, but I think that speaks more to the running back than the offensive line. And then the defensive line that I thought coming in to the season, you know, reading about Troy during the offseason would be one of their strengths, didn't really generate a whole lot. Now, I think the, the caveat there fits is TJ Jackson not playing in week one. He's still suspended for some sort of disciplinary thing. Coach Summerall, they asked him in the press conference this week, will we see TJ Jackson, who was uh, a first team all Sun Belt player last year at defensive end? And he kind of smirked and said, you'll have to wait and see until Saturday. That, though, Fitz, would, would change, I think, the complexion of what we saw from Troy's defensive line in week one. Yeah, 48 to 30, they beat Stephen F. Austin. But that's a lot of points to give up to an FCS program. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to read too much into it because we've seen that happen with K-State in the past. But it does bring up an interesting thought that um, – Maybe K-State will be able to move the ball a little more freely on Troy than what I thought coming into the season as Sunbelt champs um, because I have a lot of respect for the Sunbelt. They play a great brand of football, and they have athletes. And to win that league and then be picked to win it again says a lot. But, boy, when you give up 30 points that way, I, I'm, I'm going to have to see something more, I guess. But I think K-State will be able to move the ball um, as long as they open up the offense and don't get conservative. Yeah, no doubt. I think coming again, coming out of the, the offseason, this was kind of that hot pick again. Right. Maybe it was because of what we saw with Tulane last year of, you know, maybe this was the one that, that might catch K-State because of everything Troy did last year. And the more you kind of research the Trojans, they're not the same 2022 team uh, that they're that will come into Manhattan on Saturday morning. 
one of the guys you mentioned it when you talk about Troy's defense that they lost is Carlton Marshall, who was the Sunbelt defensive player of the year last year. He was a do everything linebacker. And when I say do everything fits, he passed Luke Keekley as the number one tackler in NCAA history. Replacing him is kind of a big deal. Uh, and they didn't look like they had the horses to do it again looking at the Stephen F. Austin game as just one week. But I think there are a number of guys, too, um, when you look at that. I think there was a nose guard that they lost, um, a do-it-all safety, you know, similar to kind of a Josh Hayes type that they've had to replace. And so I think K-State can really do some nice things on offense. It'll be helpful if Keegan Johnson can play. Um, but, you know, I think this is a, a, the type of game that you can really exploit the linebackers. I think I expect we'll see better output from Troy's defensive line. I really like Troy's secondary. I think they're really athletic, really active, uh, just a ton of ball hawks, right, that aren't going to beat themselves very often. But I think the linebackers, fits if, if K-State still had Deuce Vaughn in for this game, a guy that you could motion out and really kind of get in positive one-on-one -on -one matchups, it'd be a nightmare for Troy. Maybe they have that in Treshawn Ward. Maybe they have that with a guy like Ben Sennett. Um, but I think that is definitely an area that Will Howard and company should exploit. Interesting. Um, because I'm of the th theory that they held back Treshawn Ward in the opener. They yeah. didn't show a whole lot. I mean, he had, what, seven, eight carries, and he looked good. Uh, but they didn't do anything particularly fancy with him. It was pretty much here, take the ball, run. Uh, this one time they let him pass, which was interesting. But other than that, called running plays, it <laughs> it looked pretty uh, pretty chalk. I mean, they just weren't going to show much in that area. I felt like that was an area they held back. Um, because Troy does have some interesting matchup issues uh, with their defense and how you know they can defend Kansas State. And let's start with they use a three-man front, but they have a bandit out there uh, who mm -hmm. is very good. I'm going to attempt his name now for the second time in this podcast. Richard Juboner. Juboner. I don't know, dude. I don't, I don't why. He's not. He's <laughs> Nigerian. He, as you mentioned before, we started transferred in from what? Auburn? Auburn. 6'3", 230, gets after it. They'll put him on whatever end they need to be disruptive from, and he is disruptive. Yeah, and I mean, he's different than – I mentioned TJ Jackson earlier – uh, Solomon is another defensive end that they have. Those guys are built way different um, than this cat because you're looking at guys that are uh, more your standard kind of odd man front defensive end. So they're more 260, 270 kind of guys. But you look at Jubunner and he, again, a four-star recruit coming out of high school, signs with Auburn, ends up transferring to Troy. And if he's, what did they list him at, Fitz? 6'3", 6'4"? 6'3", plays. He plays with about a 6'8 wingspan. I mean, the length is ridiculous. Uh, just a freak athlete. I didn't feel like he um, was as active in the pass rush in week one against an FCS opponent as maybe I expected. Um, but again, you know, when those type of games and only kind of playing some base stuff, uh, who knows if they were kind of holding back the reins on him a little bit. We'll see him unleashed against K-State, but that's the type of guy who's going to get off the bus and look the part uh, and could very well play the part. Again, uh, especially if you don't have a guy like Cooper Beebe out at tackle, um, you know, that's, that's going to be a matchup that you're going to want to watch because, again, whether he's making the pass rush or in run support, his length, he's going to be able to really hold the edge 
very, very well, I think, for a guy out of the Sun Belt. This is a good offense, but I feel like if you put the game on the quarterback's shoulders, Gunnar Watson, big advantage you. He just doesn't strike me as a guy that uh, he, he's going to go out and not lose you games. But if you need him to win games, uh, maybe not so good. Uh, do you agree with that? Uh, not only do I agree with it, uh, I was talking uh, actually earlier tonight with a, uh, a a person with direct knowledge of of Troy. We'll put it that way. Uh, FBS coach uh, that's gone against Troy recently, um, and I, I thought that what he told me to describe Gunnar Watson was spot on. In fact, I laughed out loud. He said, "Yeah, you remember the Baltimore Ravens when they won the Super Bowl." He's Trent Dilfer. Gunnar, Gunnar Watson is the manager that does absolutely nothing spectacular. Um, he's, uh, dare I say, mediocre, right? I mean, his passing career passing numbers are there, but he's a guy that uh, when I watched him, he reminded me of Carson Kaufman Fitz. And I mean that in the sense of like, yeah, he can make some throws if you keep a pocket clean. You know, he's not going to make a ton of like mental errors, but he's not going to win you games. I thought, I think you nailed it. Um, and it's funny. I was listening to the press conference with him this week and he said that he enjoys road games more than home games. He gets up for him, but the stats don't show it because seven of his 10 interceptions last season came away from home. Uh, and his average QBR on the road was like 50. Uh, and he's also a negative 322 yard career rusher. In other words, he is not going to beat you with his feet. He can barely, you know, keep you honest and move the chains with his feet. So um, it, the more I looked at Gunnar Watson fits, since we're talking about him, I, I don't want to get ahead and, and offer my prediction, but he seems to me to be the, the biggest reason I keep coming back to K-State getting out of this game a lot differently and a lot more comfortably than they did against Tulane. Even if Troy's defense comes up to Manhattan and shows out, there's something about Gunnar Watson that just doesn't leave you thinking that's a guy that's going to win you the game. And honestly, the more I gauge uh, the barometer, if you will, of Troy's fan base, they're not even crazy about this quarterback. Nope. So uh, he he seems to be the, the reason I keep coming back to. He's not uh, Pratt from Tulane. He's not Driscoll that we saw come up and uh, take Louisiana Tech to three overtimes with K-State. You know, what was that, 2015? Um Gunnar Watson's just the type of guy that I think if you can keep him clean, he can make every throw, but uh, that's asking a lot against a K-State defense that's going to throw the kitchen sink at him. I think the more you put him under pressure, the more he's going to struggle on Saturday. The reason why I bring this up, and you mentioned Pratt at Tulane, uh, Duggan at TCU, Ewers last year against from Texas against K-State was really good. He's up and down, but that game, he was the 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 good version. And then, of course, you go to that that guy from Alabama who turned out to be pretty good. Um, and it takes an elite quarterback, at least where this team is right now, to beat this defense. It, you've got to have a playmaker at quarterback. I mean, I, I honestly think the quarterback, despite all the other NFL guys on the field for Alabama, Bryce Young was the difference in the Sugar Bowl. He made some throws that were just beyond elite. And I, I'm – I just don't have confidence in another team beating this K-State defense, outscoring the offense with an okay quarterback. Exactly. And, and then you look around him and you think, well, can an okay quarterback win with, you know, plus guys at the skill position? And, you know, for everything that Kamani Vidal did in week one against Stephen F. Austin, 
<clears throat> excuse me, and, and everything that he did last year in the Sun Belt, he's a heck of a running back, but I don't know if he's good enough to, you know, overdo what right. Gunnar Watson can't do. And then you look at the wide receiver position, and this is, again, an offense that doesn't really hit you with the deep ball fits. They just kind of want to keep you honest, 10 to 15 yards, because, again, that's really all Gunnar Watson can do. So as much as I like a guy like Jabri Barber, um, who's kind of their dynamic Philip Brooks-type receiver, kind of slot kid, um, they don't really have anybody surrounding him. Tez Johnson was a really good wide receiver for them last year. He entered the transfer portal and ended up at Oregon. So that tells you, you know, the type of talent that he was. Um, and then you have another player, Deshaun Stoudemire, that's listed as a starter on the depth chart, apparently played in week one, but had no stats to speak of. And it sounds like his availability might be in question. So mm. that takes another skill guy out from Gunnar Watson. So, yeah, not only do you have Gunnar Watson, but Fitz, you're right. I think the scheme itself just doesn't lend itself to taking down a, a starting defense that we saw play extremely sound against SEMO. Spread is 16 and a half. We'll bring in Ryan Gilbert after you. Does K-State cover that? I think they do. Um, I think, uh, Troy, you'd have to go back to 2018, the last time they played an 11 a.m. kickoff. So they're already kind of in unfamiliar territory between that and the crowd size that they're going to see. Uh, first road game out of the gate, I think. John Sumrall in his press conference said that they'll bring 80 to 85 guys on the plane, and he's ventured to guess about half of them have probably never played in an environment like they're going to play on Saturday. So just getting off the plane is going to be different for them. I know that Troy likes to win and lose narrowly. I think their average margin of defeat over the last two years is only about 15 points. Um, and then they were seven and one in one score games a year ago. But again, this is a different team from a year ago, and this is a different foe that they're facing in K-State. I think, again, K-State's offense might be challenged a little bit by this Troy defense, but above all else, even if it's a low-scoring game like Troy wants it to be, I still think K-State might end up winning, you know, say it's 17 or 20 to nothing. I mean, this is an offense that just doesn't strike fear into me. Um I should probably give them more credit. They'll probably get on the scoreboard fits. But my point is I, you're not going to have to score a ton and still cover that spread because I, I don't see this Troy offense being able to move the ball with much success. I was a little surprised the spread was that high. Um, but Vegas always knows something. So it made me think they, they see a bad matchup here. Uh, and the really bad news for Troy is they won't be getting off their plane in Manhattan, Kansas. Oh, that's right. The airport is still not open. Oh, that's right. Enjoy that ride from Topeka, guys. Um, Wally, appreciate it very much. We will talk again next week. Well, heck, we talk all the time, but we'll have a, on the podcast. We'll talk again next week. Much appreciated. Thank you, Fitz. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast continues after this short break. Welcome back to the PowerCat podcast. Welcome back to the PowerCat pregame podcast sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. We've got two segments down and our own Ryan Gilbert awaits with your betting odds and a great schedule of games in the Big 12. The Big 12 didn't mess around in week two. There's some tasty choices from which to pick if you're into gambling. And Ryan Gilbert is into gambling. 
but at Robbins Motor Company, they strive to earn lifetime business and build relationships selling quality cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, and offering top-notch parts and service. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the Powercat pregame podcast. Uh, are you there this time, Ryan Gilbert? Yeah. Can you hear me loud and yeah. clear? Yeah. Yeah. We tried to do this once before, folks, and he froze up, and I just thought he was staring at me. Because, you know, how can he not just stare at me once in a while? Uh, but he wasn't. He was frozen up. Let's get into the games. Man, I had a tough choice uh, picking like five games plus K-State. So I went with uh, six. So it's seven. Six plus one is seven. And, um, that, and I thought, but hold on. That's the normal. That's how many Big 12 games would be played during conference schedule every week, typically. So let's pick seven games here. Ryan, this is a great schedule of games. I don't understand the lines, but it's a great schedule of games. Let's start with Utah, minus 7.5 on the road at Baylor. Baylor just lost to Texas State, and Utah thumped Florida in Salt Lake City. Why do I not understand this line? There's I, an overreaction here. Is right? it? Yeah, well. I, Especially I, with Texas Tech. Or excuse me, with Baylor, sorry. Yeah, yeah. But Baylor losing at home Texas State. Uh, my overreaction is, bleh. So uh, am I crazy for just wanting to bet Utah all day, or do they know something I don't know, which is pretty typical? Well, the biggest thing for me here is the over-under. It's 47 points, I believe, and that's just – that's super low for for college football. And so I think a lot of that has to do with, with uh, you know, Baylor losing its quarterback. Obviously, they've got a transfer in from Mississippi State who I know hasn't played a ton, but – you know, he's still a guy that was at an SEC program, so how bad can he really be? Um, you know, Baylor's going to be able to put up points. We know that Utah's going to be able to score as well. So I actually lean over here. Um, Baylor, in his last 11 games, has hit the over in nine of those last 11 games. So I think the over is probably the move here. The over-under is just super low, and I couldn't tell you who's going to win or lose this game, but I think Baylor's going to be able to make it a competitive game. So they'll be able to score, po- score points and – Maybe you lean for them to cover, but I think the over is the move here. Yep, I, that's a that's a wise choice. You're a wise man in a hoodie. Uh, Iowa minus four at Iowa State. Now, not, my problem here is when Iowa's minus four, it requires them to score more than a field goal in a game uh, to cover. I'm not sure that their offense is capable of that. Maybe they've revised their offense, and it's just incredible now. And Iowa State – Look, I wouldn't touch this game. I'm intrigued by the line, but uh, with Iowa State's mess and this game's going to be ugly, What? where do you fall on this one? It'll be ugly, right? But yeah. Fitz, I, I just want to say it's been hundreds of, you know, it's been in the hundreds here in Manhattan, and we had a high of like 85 in Manhattan today, so it's it's hoodie weather for all I care about. Okay, but whatever. Another over-under here, Iowa State and Iowa, the last time, excuse me, the last um, – the last eight times they've played, the last seven have gone under between these two teams. And I'll give it to Iowa State. They look decent against Northern Iowa, who I know isn't anything special, but give credit where it's due. So, again, I'd lean on the under in this game. But, you know, as far as the actual spread goes, am I crazy for wanting to go with Iowa State? I don't want to put too much stock into to one week, but we'll see. Okay, well, we're going to write that down. Ryan Gilbert, known Matt Campbell lover. Okay. On to Cincinnati at Pitt in another realm. This is a big 12 game, maybe in about 
10 years, this is a Big 12 game. Cincinnati is plus seven and a half at Pitt, and I don't know that Pitt's that good. You're the expert in all things Pittsburgh now. Uh, how do you feel about this game? I've got to bet Pitt, right? I know. I, just, You're I a have Pittsburgh to. guy the game's now. at Akershire Stadium where the Steelers are going to play the next day, but yeah. um, Pittsburgh's got a really good run defense. That was a defense that gave up less than 100 yards on the ground per game in 2022. They gave up minus one rushing yard in, in week one on Saturday. And so, um, again, here, this spread for Cincinnati, uh, you know, Pittsburgh's favored by seven and a half. I think that's probably fair. But if you're into that market of, of prop bets, looking at some of Cincinnati's running backs that, you know, the lines aren't, the props aren't available on Caesars yet. But when those do come out eventually later in the week, that's certainly something to look into. Okay, there we go. Another Pac-12 Big 12 game um, that's advantage Pac-12. Oregon is a six-and-a-half-point favorite at Texas Tech. Of course, Tech lost last week in its opener at Wyoming. Oregon's better than Wyoming. I I don't even know what to think. Um, Share some wisdom here because this game is really hard for me to pick because I still think Tech's going to be good. They just weren't in that opener. Yep, I agree. I, I completely agree. And I think uh, the same thing I said with Baylor, just there's there's too much of a panic here. I'm not going to panic with Texas Tech. I still have obviously some high hopes for them in the in the Big 12 this season. But look at what K-State did last year, losing to Tulane. You know, you're going to have hiccups, you know, bluntly put, you know, Texas Tech might have just overlooked, you know, in week one, and that's fine. Um, it's okay. That's going to happen. But, you know, is this team going to learn from that? I think there's a good chance they do. K-State surely learned from its loss to Tulane last year. So, you know, one loss doesn't have to define a season. One loss doesn't tell you exactly who a team is, right? So I think this is a good bounce back opportunity for Texas Tech, and I think it's it's worth uh, some sprinkle on the money line as well. well. I like that. You're going to sprinkle some stuff. UCF is going to Boise where they are a three-and-a-half-point favorite, a very intriguing game um, between a school that, you know, is probably worthy of being at the Power Five level, one that has just stepped up to it. I love this game. I hate the blue turf. I will bet UCF on this one. Me too. Me too. And uh, we were having a conversation about this today about Boise. Is it true that they cover up the turf because birds fly into them? Is that a thing? Or am I completely being misled? Because they think uh, it's like a lake. That that would make sense to me that they would – Quite often, yeah. poop on it. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's what birds do over bodies of water. I don't know if you knew that yeah. trivia. But, no, yeah, that, no. I guess that makes sense. You know, a good solution for that, instead of covering it up, get a green field. There's wow. a solution. Crazy. That's crazy. crazy. But UCF put up over 700 yards on Saturday. We saw what happened uh, with Boise just getting dominated uh, by Washington. So, Again, I, I know I just talked about not putting too much stock into week one games, but I don't see how you can bet on Boise State here. I think UCF's got obviously a lot to prove here. You're one in the Big 12. Give me the, the Golden Knights. Okay, here we go. The one the national media is talking about, Texas going to Alabama. Texas is a seven-point underdog on the road. After what happened last year, I think, Alabama all day in this game, but Texas is maybe the only Big 12 team at this snapshot that has the athletes, the dudes to play with the elite SEC. They showed it last year against Alabama, 
and then didn't win enough games to get to the Big 12 title game. This could be a good game, but I think Alabama covers this. I'm going to go with Texas Fitz. Um, okay. Represent the Big 12 for, wow. for one really? last year. Right? There. Yeah. But I think when you look at the, the final scores, you, you, Alabama obviously had a, a blowout victory and you know looked better just from that perspective. But um, middle was it Middle Tennessee State didn't help themselves at all. Had turnovers, you know, penalties, all that stuff early on in the game against Alabama. So did Alabama dominate them? Yes, sure. I think any team would, but they had a lot of help handed to them. And whereas for Texas, I think Texas actually looked better in Week One. Um, you mentioned how this is just the game of of the year. I don't think there's really any angles here for this game, just because both teams are going to be giving it their best shot, right? They're both super, you know, athletic and talented stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I I just like Texas though. I, I found a stat: Nick Saban is actually it's only happened seven times in his career where he's been a home favorite of less than seven points, and he's two and five against the spread in those games. So I think that there's some sort of you know, hey, you look at the spread. Oh, Alabama's only favored by, you know, a couple points. This has got to be, you know, free money, right? And obviously when the line is that low, usually more often than not, there's a reason for it. And so I think maybe with the the coaching, I, I would take Nick Saban over Steve Sarkeesian all day long. But for a whole touchdown, I think Texas can hang around in this game and, and has a chance to pull off the upset. Um, I think there's more uncertainty with Alabama's quarterback situation than what Texas has. And so I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking Texas here fits. Wow. You are a man of many surprises. Don't surprise me here. Troy, finally, as we get to the Cats, is a 16 and a half point underdog at Bill Snyder Family Stadium on Saturday against the Cats. I was a little surprised it was this high, but after doing a little research, yeah. I kind of get it. Um, I think K-State will just win the point of attack and and it, they might pull away in the second half, but they'll cover that 17. I uh, I want to double down on betting against Kansas State. I did it last week, and that that obviously you know backfired on me a little bit. Um, but you know, me and Cole Carmody, we were down on the sidelines before the game, and just the the players from SEMA went back to the to the locker room and ran right by us, and we just looked at each other like, wow, like the they're just little. Like th- th- it was like the JV team going up against the varsity team for Kansas State, right? This Troy team's going to be legit. I think you said this fits on the podcast or yep. something in the last couple of weeks that this would be a middle of the pack team in the Big 12. They could easily beat yep. some of those bottom teams in the Big 12. So it's going to be a, a much greater test for Kansas State. Now, obviously, Kansas State's going to probably open up the playbook a little bit more, not be so. I don't want to say K State was vanilla, but you know they're going to be doing some more things on Saturday against Troy, right? But yeah. That being said, I mean, it's a lot of points, man. What was it? You said it 16 is. right right now? I think it opened it at 14, um, and it moved actually. You know, people are betting on Kansas State. People are bought into this K-State team as far as the where the money is, and I just don't know if I can see it right now. There's still a couple questions on, on the secondary. The wide receivers looked okay, but I don't know if that can be replicated here into week two. So, you know, give me Troy. Troy's won 12 in a row. Um, I, I pulled up one more stat here, Fitz. I've got stats coming at you all day long on this, but um, Troy's covered in five straight road games, and so they can win. They know how to win, right? This is a team that I think Chris Kleiman mentioned that on Tuesday that, you know, they won some one-score games, some close games, but good teams, they find ways to win games, and obviously Troy's been able to do that. And so I think Troy covers this game. I don't know if K-State's going to lose just because of what happened last year to Tulane. 
Um, you know, the Arkansas State loss, I think that they're going to be ready to go in this game, but it's it's not going to be easy. Um, and this is really the first test for Kansas State. Like I mentioned earlier, that game against CMO, I don't know if we should really be putting anything into it other than Avery Johnson looks like the future quarterback for Kansas State. Other than that, I just – you can't compare CMO and Troy. You just can't. This is, you know, two completely different teams. And if K-State was favored by 16 to any team in the Big 12, I would have to take that other team than Kansas State. Okay, Ryan Gilbert. And that's where I think Troy is, right, a Big a big 12 team. My goodness. I don't even know you anymore. But I appreciate your input. We appreciate Ryan Gilbert joining us for his – Weekly gambling segment. I, I'm still trying to wrestle with him thinking Troy will cover. It's all right. He can have a different opinion for me if he's prepared to be wrong. That's how it works around here. We appreciate you listening to the podcast, whether you watched it on YouTube or on a podcast platform. Reminder, we're doing so much with our YouTube channel right now. Head on over there. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's, it's free, but it grows our algorithm significantly. And remember, Every Monday at 1.30, the Insiders, the Insiders tapes, uh, but we broadcast live right there on the YouTube machine and on Twitter, so you can come check us out whenever you uh, are free, and of course, it then exists on YouTube for all to watch from there on out. Let's wrap this up the same way we do every week with my one thing to watch for K-State fans who might be in attendance at Bill Snyder Family Stadium or watching at home, the game is on FS1. It kicks at 11 a.m. For me, it's about the running backs, and I'm really interested to see the rotation. DJ Giddens had a really nice opener going over 100 yards. We saw some flashes from Treshawn Ward of what he can be, but I also suspect the coaches kind of kept in reserve a lot of the stuff they put into this offense for Treshawn Ward. I think they have much more to give in terms of uh, how he can impact this offense and will we see some of that in this game or is it something they want to hold on to even longer and try to attack um this troy defense which is pretty good with more um mundane approaches to the running game just straight up blocking and get guys into space we'll see how that plays out i suspect we will see a little bit more from trey sean ward in this game than we did last week but i stick by this i've been saying it for a long time these two will be different than one Deuce Vaughn, but they're going to be pretty darn good. And I think the K-State running game is in great shape with Ward and Giddens. That's it for this edition of the PowerCat Pregame Podcast, sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. We appreciate it so much. Kick again is at 11 at Bill Snyder Family Stadium on Saturday, Kansas State and Troy. And I will see you at the Bill. Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts.